Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Nonprofit U, a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host. I'm a consultant to nonprofits, and I specialize in community and organizational development. I work with nonprofit organizations to help them make a stronger impact to their clients and communities. You can find Nonprofit U on Facebook and Twitter, and I encourage you to comment early and often using the hashtags Nonprofit U, Tutor Mentor Institute, Mapping Community Participation, or Youth Development. You can also leave comments on blogtalkradio.com forward slash nonprofit underscore you on this episode page. We're having problems with our chat room, so if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to post them on the Facebook page for Nonprofit You. In order to post, you obviously must like the page. In order to use the chat room when it's working, you have to open a listener-only account, and you can find a link to open that account on the episode page. Again, we're having problems at this point with the chat room, so if you want to post comments, please feel free to do so on the Facebook page. You will find a Nonprofit Youth fan page on Facebook, as I said before, and the Twitter account is at Nonprofit Youth. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about the 30-minute mark. So we're looking at around 2.30 or so. And the call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. Today's episode is Using Maps to Facilitate Community Engagement. We'll talk about how the Tudor Mentor Institute, LLC, is using maps to increase community engagement. Again, we encourage you to call in with questions and participate in live chats on Facebook at about the 30-minute mark. Obviously, if you're participating on Facebook, you can start posting questions now. Call-in number is 347-884-8121. And nonprofit professionals and educators are especially encouraged to call in and share your war stories and strategies. Our guest for today is Dan Basil. He is Doctor of Humane Letters and he's also the president and CEO of the Tudor Mentor Institute LLC. Dan shares ideas and resources that can be used by leaders of volunteer based programs to constantly improve their efforts and their businesses and political faith and education as well. And the leaders in those areas can adopt to help make constantly improving volunteer-based tutor-mentor programs available in more of the high-poverty areas of the Chicago region and over the big cities of the world. And in recent years, he's expanded this practice to include addressing other issues as well, you know, more specifically in civic engagement and planning and addressing specific problems that communities may have. And that's what we'll be talking about today. So, Dan, can you tell us a little bit about Tudor Mentor Institute LLC, how you got involved? Thank you, Valerie, for having me on the show. And and thank you to everyone who's listening. I started leading a volunteer-based Tutor Mentor Program in Chicago in 1975 and began to reach out to others to find ideas I could use to help me. I was doing this while holding a full-time advertising job at the Montgomery Ward Corporation in Chicago. I left that job in 1990 and converted the Tutor Mentor Program to a nonprofit. In 1993, while starting a new version of the original program, I created the Tutor Mentor Connection to help similar programs grow in all high-poverty neighborhoods of Chicago. I created the Tudor Mentor Institute, LLC, in 2011 to continue this work in Chicago and to try to help similar networks grow in other cities. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have a very, very interesting approach in which you take GIS databases to identify where youth programs are located and where more are needed. So 
before we get started, can you tell us what a GIS data system is or database is and what made you decide to use them as a centerpiece for your work? Sure. A GIS or a geographic information system uh, enables you to plot data on the maps. For instance, I, uh, you can see where drugstores are located in Chicago by looking at a map, uh, or you can look for mm -hmm. a movie or anything else. Uh, a GIS shows information as layers, so you can add or reduce the amount of information you view. Uh, you can focus on specific types of information you want to look at, uh, or you can zoom into uh, uh, narrow uh, parts of the city as close as a, a block area. So in 1993, when I was starting to build a database of nine school tutor mentor programs in Chicago, someone showed me how maps were being used and suggested I use maps to show where programs were located. I was immediately convinced of the potential and have been trying to use maps in my strategies ever since then. So why mm -hmm. is this important? You can fill a stadium with people leading youth organizations and people funding them, yet you still would not know if they were reaching kids in all poverty neighborhoods of your city unless you mm -hmm. found a way to up showing this information. That is, that is so critically, fundamentally important. Uh, we have lots of people doing things, but without plotting where those things are being done, we could be missing most of the places where help is needed. Uh, with MAPS, uh, leaders can point volunteers, donors, media, other people to every poverty neighborhood or to tutor mentor programs or needed services in specific areas and in doing this, uh, uh, you're working to assure that all kids in every poverty area are getting the extra help they need. I've got uh, one blog uh, called mappingforjustice.blogspot.com where since about 2008, we've been posting map stories uh, with maps we've created plus map stories with maps other people have created. So it's a great resource for people to go mm -hmm. to and, and build their understanding. Yes, 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 and I can vouch for that from personal experience. I think that's how we met in the first place. I was working with the group in North Lawndale, the Lawndale Alliance. We were um, at that point looking at redistricting, and when we talk about redistricting, we're talking about how every 10 years a new political map is drawn based on the outcome of the census, and we were looking at redistricting on the federal level, state level, as well as the local levels, and you had a wonderful map of all the educational assets in the 7th Congressional District. So that was very, very helpful as we made the case for keeping communities together, um, as we also uh, were able to provide a very sound description as well as a really good map to our legislators when we made the case for keeping certain um, communities together, for example, North Lawndale, to make sure that we could ensure that we had um, stable leadership and, you know, and, and not break, break us up and break up the influence of the voters in the community. So I gave you a call and asked if we could use that map, and the rest has been history. We've been in contact ever since, and that map has been very, very helpful as well as have others. So so thank you for that. I put that map in uh, Congressman Davis's hands probably 12 years ago, and, and I wish uh, he and other uh, elected leaders had been using it. That's another story. <laughs> okay. So you've been doing this work for years now, and you've expanded your universe, as I mentioned before, so to speak, and you are applying some of those lessons learned with youth development and education to other aspects of community development. And one issue that seems to be near and dear to your heart, community engagement. And before we go further, can you define what you mean by community engagement? And for our listening audience, the reason why I'm asking is, you know, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page and using common definitions because you know some of the, some of the terms may mean different things to different people. Sure. So I define community in in two ways. Uh, first is a geographic area. Uh, that could be a ward. It could be a congressional district. It could be a zip code. It could be a block area. It could be a Chicago community area. It could be the entire city. 
but uh, you're able to define what area uh, you're talking about. Second, mm-hmm. it's people and organizations who are concerned about the same issue, which could be poverty, could be youth, could be education or climate change or any other issue. Uh, they don't have to be in the same geography. Uh, they don't even have to be in the same city or the same country. Bringing people from either community together in ways that build a deeper understanding of problems and potential solutions and a commitment to actions that lead to problems being solved is an ongoing process of community building and community engagement. So uh, uh, reaching out to people within a geographic area or reaching out to people who care about the same problem and finding ways to bring them into engagement with each other, uh, that's Mm -hmm. an ongoing just that I'm talking about. Okay, great, great. You wrote a very interesting blog post on a Tutor Mentor website, or rather your blog, at the end of December 2016. And the name of this blog post was Building Connecting Villages of Hope and Opportunity. I've included a link to that post on the comment section for our listening audience. And you preface the post with the following. I'm one of those people who fear what will happen to our democracy and freedom and the planet's health over the next few years. In some of the posts I've read, writers say, quote, don't lose hope, unquote, and, quote, get involved locally with the cause you care about, unquote. These kinds of articles inspired you to create a visualization on building youth service networks, which is included in our slideshow, and you can also download the the handout from the link in the comment section. Would you care to walk us through this diagram and then share with our listening audience how these principles may apply to almost any discipline in nonprofit? Sure. So uh for those of you who uh, have uh, opened up the link and are looking at the graphic, uh, uh, this will be a little bit easier. For those who are not, I'll try to paint a word picture. Uh, the title on the graphic is Building Youth Serving Networks. And what you're looking at is I, I saw a map of Chicago with high-poverty neighborhoods uh, on the west side and the south side highlighted in deep red shading. If you look uh, closer into the map, you'll also see that I show icons of existing non-school tutor mentor programs that were in our database when this map was made, which was probably in 2009 or 2010. I also show locations of poorly performing schools from a database we had of 2007 and 2008. And so you can see mm-hmm. that programs are distributed equally in every neighborhood and that poor schools are more Focus are concentrated in poor neighborhoods than in other neighborhoods. I use mm-hmm. an oil well guide to represent the 25 plus years it takes for a youth to go from being born to being through high school, college, and or vocational school and starting a job. This symbolizes the long term support that needs to be provided by schools, night school programs, parents, and the rest of the community. And this support needs to be provided in every one of those high poverty neighborhoods, not just one or two. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it needs to be provided consistently for 20 to 30 years. Then on the, uh, on the graphic toward the middle, I, I show uh, uh, three of the same icon under the heading, it takes a village. You know, you, the old saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, when you mm-hmm. think who's in the village, it's the bankers and the churches and the hospitals and the schools. There's a whole bunch of different entities uh, and and when I talk about the village, I'm talking about people from these different entities working together to help youth programs grow in different neighborhoods or throughout the city. Mm-hmm. So th- these groups should include uh, people from business, from faith groups, colleges, public schools, healthcare providers, uh, parents, high school programs, and young people, local schools. So mm-hmm. so. And, and these villages, these of support need. It's just like your board of directors. Each each nonprofit youth organization has to have a, a group of volunteer leaders who are working to make that organization the best it can be. Uh, that that board is kind of a village of people, 
And and in a neighborhood like uh, uh, Austin has uh, uh, maybe five or six thousand kids in poverty living there, which would mean it would need you know fifteen or twenty different tutor mentor programs. Uh, each, excuse me, each each one of those. Uh, uh, excuse me. Okay. Uh, so each each one of those programs would. Hold on just a second. Okay. I'm going to let that ring. Uh, so I included another graphic on the map, and, and, and that's in the far uh, uh, left side. And, and it causes mm-hmm. a, a talent. So when, when you think of a, a group of people, uh, that group of people needs to have a different set of talents in order for the organization to be as good as it needs to be. Uh, if you think of a small business or a big company, uh, they have a, a variety of different talents uh, which work together to make the business successful. Uh, each mm-hmm. and each neighborhood needs the same range of talents to help it be successful. Okay, that's ac- excellent, excellent. So, so basically, when we look at these callouts, and when I say callouts, we're looking at the bubbles, the blue bubble and the yellow bubble that points to something else, right? So, when we look at these callouts, say for the village, the callout for the talent and net plus the network, we're looking at different ways to apply. And really, when you look at all of the diagrams they are kind of a takeoff on asset maps. Is that correct? Oh, they are. They are. And, and mm-hmm. if, uh, uh, if you go to the blog article itself, uh, I, I provide links within the uh, article to the concept maps uh, uh, and to the different mm-hmm. uh, uh, parts of this that you can go deeper into understanding this. But, yeah, what you're talking about is, is building groups of people in different neighborhoods uh, who are working together over a period of time uh, to solve problems mm-hmm. that a neighborhood uh, uh, and, okay. and and each organization needs a similar group of people helping that organization be good at what it does to solve that problem. I got you. And what I like about this approach is you're not looking at these people as deficits. You know, so so often in social services and nonprofits, you know, we. We look at the people as less than valuable, and sometimes we value the real estate and other institutions in our communities more so than the people. But I think you've done an excellent job of looking at the human capital that will help us, you know, move forward. It's very much a human capital development system. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then what about, I see this map of the United States in the lower left corner. Well, the the map of the United States, so while we're in Chicago, and Chicago has uh, issues that uh, are focused on in the media on a regular basis, uh, every big city in the United States and around the world faces some of the same issues. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, later on, about uh, uh, where we get ideas, the ideas that we look for to solve our problems could be ideas we get from people in different places who are already trying to solve the same problem, and maybe they're a little mm-hmm. bit further along than we are. Uh, okay. uh, when I talk about learning organization, uh, I'm talking about what, what are we learning from what we know, from what we do, and what we can learn from what other people who do who are focusing on a similar problem. And those people could be in in multiple places, not just Chicago. Mm-hmm. So if I were to apply this, you know, suppose I wasn't doing youth service work. You know, suppose I was doing something in healthcare or um, community development. How might I be able to apply this same framework? Maybe we're going to talk about that in uh, a couple of the upcoming questions. Can we kind of hold on okay. to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a, a very fair uh, response. Okay, is there anything else that we should know about this visual? Uh, let's go on and talk about the next vis- uh, the the, uh, the next couple of questions, and then we can come back to this mm-hmm. uh, at the end. 
Okay, yeah, that that is fair. Okay, and before we do that, I would like to remind our listening audience that you're listening to Nonprofit You, and today's guest is Daniel Vassell. He is president and CEO of the Tudor Mentor Institute, LLC. We'll be taking questions and comments from our listeners at about 2.30 or so. Our calling number is 347-884-8121. You can also post questions and comments on Facebook. Our chat room, for whatever reason, is not up and running right about now. And in addition to questions for Dan, we would be really, really interested in understanding whether or not you have ever used maps in your planning process or your civic engagement strategies. Okay, so... So, Dan, we're having a very, very good conversation on the importance of engaging community residents in the community planning process. You know, you and I talked offline a couple days ago. And then you suggested using maps as a management tool to ensure community engagement. Can you tell us, you know, one way or maybe a couple ways how that could work from a very practical standpoint and if you're, you know, grassroots practitioner? Sure. So when people come together for a conference or a planning meeting or other forms of gathering, or, or like the listeners uh, uh, in, in the group today, uh, that could be uh, a few people or it could be hundreds of people. However, no one really mm-hmm. can tell uh, who's participating and, and how uh, widely that participation represents the village or the, the, the talents needed uh, or the resource providers. And uh, you, you can't tell that just uh, uh, by your participation. Participation maps can be used to plot where events participants come from. Uh, a Google map mm-hmm. uh, could be seen by participants. You can look at that, and you can see uh, uh, down to the neighborhood level uh, 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 where participation is coming from. Uh, they can also show what parts of the village they represent. If there's, if there's codes on the map for business and church and school and nonprofit, then uh, mm-hmm. uh, you can have a more to an understanding of, of who's participating. Uh, I show examples of these in my blog articles and on the Tudor Mentor Conference website. Social okay. network analysis are different. A, 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 a Google map is a, a spatial analysis uh, showing what mm-hmm. place people come from. Uh, network analysis maps are similar, but they show who's participating in events and they show how those mm. people are to each other. Uh, they can also be coded to show what different uh, segments of the community they represent or what different talents, uh, but they, they, uh, it's a different form of mapping participation. And, and uh, on Twitter, you can find something called Node XL where they map Twitter uh, conversations over a few-day period of time. Well, oh, wow. To be used at an ongoing basis to show if the community organizers are attracting a wide range of participants and the needed range of resource providers and participants. In other words, the, the event organizers, the community organizers, uh, they should be using participation maps to help them understand are they reaching the people they want to reach mm-hmm. and are there other that they're not reaching that they need to try to get involved. Such maps should be used on an ongoing basis. Uh, and if done right, they can show if the group is growing from year to year and if it keeps key people involved and grows their involvement. So these are analysis tools that can show the effectiveness of a community organization and help it see its weaknesses, mm-hmm. the key stakeholders not participating or people dropping out after one or two meetings. The key on that, universities could provide the talent and, and, uh, to help support this type of analysis. And funders mm-hmm. need to step forward to fund the entire process. It's, it's very difficult for a volunteer uh, uh, to have the skills to do this and the time to do this uh, uh, on the ongoing basis that it needs to be done. You know what? That brings a very interesting point. You know, I've been involved with a number of what, community efforts, you know, planning processes as well as other efforts, and, you know, we always complain from time to time about getting, quote, unquote, the usual suspects, right? And, you know, from time to time we notice that we're missing huge swaths or um, areas of the community who are just not participating. And I think what you just cited 
would help us to develop, you know, strategies that would help us identify those areas where people haven't been involved. And and then sometimes, too, um, even if we look at where people, quote, unquote, come from, the data may be skewed toward institutions and organizations, and we're really not drilling down, you know, as locally as we need to, you know, from the household level. So I I think you and I probably need to talk further offline about, you know, those kinds of strategies and working with different groups to to improve local participation, you know, beyond institutions and organizations and, quote, unquote, the usual suspects. Right, right. Okay. So I just want to take a break to talk about my upcoming compliance challenge. And when I talk about compliance, I'm talking about the reports that we have to do as nonprofits to states and our federal government. And I've noticed that, you know, from time to time in my practice with helping nonprofit organizations, no matter what I'm working on, you know, it could be a strategic planning um, engagement, it could be grant writing and other capacity building, but it seems that all roads lead back to nonprofit compliance. In fact, over 40% of Chicago organizations have lost their tax-exempt status between 2010 and now because they have failed to file Form 990 for three years in a row. So you can imagine if they're not doing that paperwork, there may be a host of other things they're not doing. So I'm going to be hosting the 30-Day Compliance Challenge, which is a series of four webinars to show nonprofit leaders how to maintain their tax-exempt status and what to do if they lose it. And the goal is to work with organizations to bring them current on all their paperwork within 30 days of completing the series. And if you're interested, you can email me at consulting at ValerieFLeonard.com for further information. So back to you, Dan. Uh, I really, really like another infographic that you shared on that blog post. And in this um, infographic, which is part of our handout, you showed a process to use maps to identify problems in communities, but most importantly, develop a plan of action. And the example that you use revolved around community violence, although I believe the framework can be used to address a number of other issues. And I've shared a link to that graphic for our audience, again, in the handout so that they can follow along. So if you can, um, please download the handouts. And you know, after you've had a chance to look at it, um, can, you give, you know, can you just walk us through the graphic and let us know how we might be able to try some of this at home? I know we may not have all the tools, but you know, just kind of let us know how it can be applied to, to various various. Um, I guess, aspects of community development and nonprofit management. So, so this concept uh, map, I, I, I've, I've got a collection of concept maps on my website that I've created over the last 10 years now. And um, mm-hmm. uh, you can link to them. In this one, I'm showing uh, an ongoing planning process. So in, in, the, in the first graphic that we talked about a few minutes ago, uh, I used a map of the entire city and, and I talked about uh, uh, building groups of people, which I call the village, uh, 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 to support individual programs or to support the entire neighborhood or to support the entire city. Uh, okay. So I, I'm going to walk through this graphic going from left to right. And, and again, for those who are looking at the graphic, this will be a little bit easier to understand. But for those who are not, I'll try to create a word picture. So on the far left, okay. I saw a, a small map of a, uh, a few neighborhood areas in the city. And on this map, I'm showing the number of kids in poverty uh, in each community area that I, on that map. And I'm showing uh, the uh, percent that represents. So in, in one neighborhood, uh, there's 4,500 kids in poverty. That's 29% of the kids. That means quite a few tutor mentor programs would need, be needed just to reach half those kids, let alone all of them. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the target area, and, and that's the, the problem. That's the situation that a group of people want to address. Uh, to, okay. the, to the right of me, I show a, a map of Chicago 
uh, where I show poverty areas. I show, uh, pointed to a, another map of health indicators. And uh, this represents the information people might have available to them uh, to, uh, beyond their own knowledge and experiences. Where can you get information that helps us better understand the situation? Um, the, mm -hmm. uh, and the next step is that people gather to talk about that information, uh, uh, using information available to them in, in web libraries like iHost. Uh, uh, as they look at the problem, uh, then hopefully they begin to also look at how others in different places have been trying to solve the problem uh, in Chicago mm -hmm. or around the world. Uh, uh, and, and then using this information, they begin to propose solutions that would work in their neighborhood. Uh, so I, I see this happening someplace. It looks like it would work well for us. Now let's talk about mm -hmm. how we would bring into our program or into our neighborhood. That's, that's, that's a, a process. And once they decide what action they want to do, then they build a plan to implement that action. Uh, and, and on the graphic, I show a, uh, uh, another graphic that you can link to, which is a planning process. Uh, and in that, I emphasize different steps. One of those steps, which is probably the least utilized and the most important, is the step of building public, building the support mm -hmm. to support the action now and in the future. I go to all kinds of conferences where people talk about the things that need to be done, and someone brings up, well, but you don't have the public will to support it. And instead of talking about how do we make that happen, they, they just shrug their shoulders and go on talking about what, the, what they want to do. What they want to do will never happen because mm -hmm. they haven't figured to get the public support. Mm -hmm. So using this information uh, I, I, as, as a process, then uh, I, as, you, as you implement your action plan, uh, uh, you've got your funding, you've got your support. At the, at the end of a cycle, it could be the end of a year, you, you collect data and say, well, how well did we do at what we wanted to do? Uh, and now uh, what do we want to do differently to build on what we did or improve it uh, based on what we've learned and based on what we're learning from other people on an ongoing basis. So, so mm -hmm. this is a cycle. Uh, 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 the, as you think of the cycle, right underneath the map on the uh, uh, left is a, uh, uh, a different graphic uh, pointing to a, a fellow that I met on LinkedIn who's from North Carolina who does some really good uh, 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 short videos on, on process uh, planning and systems thinking. And, and I, I put a link in there that you could go and you could listen to that. So uh, mm -hmm. this, is, this type of process applies regardless of the problem. Uh, 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 the geographic area, you define what area you're talking about. The problem, in, in my case, is poverty. It's, it's what we do to help kids uh, get through school and into jobs and careers. And that expands out how do we uh, affect what philanthropists do, what government does, what other people do to support the process. Uh, but it could be uh, if, you, if you're talking about the access to health clinics or uh, uh, food deserts or any particular issue that is geographically spaced. In other words, if you only need one of a type of service in the entire city of Chicago, it's not likely to be a neighborhood issue. Uh, it's a city mm -hmm. issue. But if in, if in a neighborhood uh, uh, you feel you need uh, uh, safe places uh, for kids to go after school, you need more places to eat, you need food clinics, you need different things that need to be close enough to where people can participate regularly or when they need to, then this planning process is important. And, and when you start your planning, you start out, where's the information that we can get from as many different sources as possible to help us better understand the problem and better understand mm -hmm. if other people have already taken steps to solve the problem, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We need to borrow their idea and try to do it better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I like about this is the fact that you've been able to cram a whole lot of information, you know, that if I were writing it, you know, I, I never met a word I didn't like. This would probably okay. take a minimum. <laughs> yeah, this would take a minimum of twenty pages for me if I were to write this entire process out. You've been able to um, share something that could be complex and tedious 
put it on one page, you have it in a manner that's easy to understand. And and I think it's good, and, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but I, I think it's good that you have a good visual. It's um, You have it in picture form, and it you don't necessarily need to have a high level of, of reading ability. And in many of our developing communities, you know, we have a number of people or for whatever reason have not reached this higher educational um, attainment. So I, I think this is something that could be understood by all, and we can meet people where they are regardless of what level they are. And And I think that takes a heck of a lot of skill. Everybody can't do this. And I would say that I'm probably one of those people who who couldn't do it. That's that's why you do what you do. And and I, I just commend you because this is this is perfect. Well thank you. Uh, in the next question we're gonna talk about this a little bit more, but uh just to build on what you just said, uh if you think of a chain reaction uh, I'm a, a, an early stage of the chain. I'm putting together ideas and information that other people can use, and I'm sharing it on the Internet. Uh, through the, today's talk show, uh, you're helping other people find and understand that information. Uh, 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 the people listening might not intuitively understand what they're looking at if it weren't for you and me trying to explain it. Well, these graphics and that I put up, they could be in group sessions in churches and schools and colleges, all kinds of places. People could be pulling these up on their screen and saying, I don't really understand it, but let's look about it and talk about it and see if we as a group can understand it. Okay, great. And you do that so well. And that brings us to a, to a segue to the next question. Um, and it's one thing to understand the process and put the mechanics into motion, which I, I think I'm pretty good at, but it's another thing to apply the knowledge that you're sharing and put it into practice. And, you know, that is, you know, as you said before or alluded to before, that is where many of our processes fall short, you know, because we're so, in, in many instances, we're, planning from the top down, or we might be so theoretical that, you know, it just doesn't feel real to people living in the community. So once we go through the planning process, we collect all these data, we prepare all these great maps, what should we be doing to make sure that this is not just an academic exercise, but really, really make a difference to the folks on the ground? Are you on question eight or question seven? I am on question eight. That's okay. Uh, well, <laughs> first place, it, it, no one goes through this planning process by themselves. The first step in this is doing your, your homework. It's, it's, it's that people spend time reading the articles on my blog going back to when I first started writing it in 2005. Uh, look at the PDF mm -hmm. presentation. Look at the examples. Uh, I point to an extensive web library with links to more than 2,000 sites. This, so you're not just learning from me or my ideas. You're learning from thousands of people located in Chicago or around the world. Uh, and then you're inviting other people to join you in the learning. Uh, if you think of uh, my website as a college curriculum or as a Bible of information, people don't learn this in one day. They read a little bit at a time. They mm -hmm. meet with others. That's what they're reading, and then they apply it. So you don't go through this by yourself, uh, uh, and, and as, so as you're doing your reading, you're building a list of stakeholders, uh, the village, uh, who you think might be interested in working on the problem with you. So if, if you think of your map, uh, your asset map, uh, your, it shows the businesses, churches, it shows what's in the neighborhood, uh, and, mm -hmm. and, and it helps you to say, well, I need to reach out to people representing these different stakeholders and invite them to join in the reading with me, uh, 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 people who might be interested in the same problem that you're interested in. So as, as, mm -hmm. as you're building your, uh, based on your asset map and you're inviting these people to read the same things you are, uh, and you begin to explore setting up a formal group to address the problem. Uh, and then as you're doing this, you're mapping participation. Who's in the group? Who's showing up? 
I, I, who else needs to be involved, uh, what talents are missing, what parts of the village are missing, uh, uh, and you're sharing your reflections constantly uh, via blogs, mm-hmm. websites, media, so other people can think along with you. Uh, and so at the end of uh, uh, three, six, nine, 12 months, uh, you're evaluating your progress and you're revising your strategies to make it work better. If over time you have the participants you need and have developed an action plan and secured resources to launch your plan, then you know you're on the way to making a difference. Uh, in the case of tutor mentor program growth in a neighborhood, uh, at the end of the first year, uh, a group should be able to produce a map showing the locations of existing youth-serving organizations in that neighborhood sorted by mm-hmm. age group and program. So if uh, uh, age group, little kid, middle kid, older kid, uh, 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 if you uh, mapped all three groups on one map, it might look like a lot. But if you broke it down by age group, you could quickly see, well, gee, some age groups we don't have very many of, or in some parts of the neighborhood we're missing an age group or we're missing a particular type of service. Uh, and, and then your analysis, based on this information, say hey, we either have enough or we need more or we're missing mm-hmm. a specific we need to bring it into the community, uh, and then your new strategies would be based on that analysis. Uh, at the end okay. of future year, your, your maps should show a fuller distribution of needed programs. You should be able to, uh, if, if your goal is uh, uh, to build health clinics or your goal is to build tutor-minute programs, uh, uh, one of the first steps uh, would be showing we have more where they need to be than we did when we started. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, and okay. then as you uh, uh, your analysis should show uh, that you're getting a better flow of talent and resources to support the neighborhood, not just the collaboration, but the neighborhood organizations. And, and at the end of five, seven, 10, 15 years, uh, the stories on the individual youth program website should begin to show who joined in the first few years are now finishing high school, post high school, and are working. Mm-hmm. These would be indicated term success. And if if after three, five, seven or more years, uh, you still have people working together to address the problem you came together for in the first place, or if you solved that problem and now you're working on another problem, you've built a pretty effective problem-solving organization. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the critical part, problem-solving. Yeah, but it's a process, and, and it's a process of uh, – uh, of getting people together, I, 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 looking at the information available, uh, uh, deciding what you want to do, building an action plan, uh, uh, generating the resources, putting the plan into action, evaluating what you did, uh, 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 tweaking mm-hmm. it, making it work better, uh, and repeating the cycle. Okay, great. Uh, I would like to remind our listening audience that you're listening to Nonprofit U, and today's guest is Daniel Basil. He's the president and CEO of the Tutor Mentor Institute, LLC. We'll be taking questions and comments from our listening audience right about now. We're, a little, uh, we're taking them a little bit later than normal, but um, I will be opening up for questions. Our call-in number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 347-884-8121. You can also post comments on Facebook. And in addition to questions for Dan, we would really be interested in understanding whether or not you have ever used MAPS in your planning process or your civic engagement strategies or, you know, the work that you do. So I see that we have... Additional callers, I'm going to check on them and see if they would have questions or comments. So our first caller that I see, um, the phone number is area code 202-544-5467. I'm about to let your mic go live. Um, Let me know if you're interested in asking a question or providing a comment. Okay, so caller... Hi, good Hi. afternoon, Valerie. This is Kim Terrell calling. I'm calling from Washington, D.C., and I actually have oh, a great. comment. So mm-hmm. I'm an engineer, and my background is with the space program, and I'm very well aware of GIS systems, specifically ESRI. But 
Mm -hmm. This call has been really enlightening for me because prior, my work involved, say, back in 1997, looking at the spread of Lyme disease or looking at urban planning or looking at deforestation in other countries and how it involved the economic impacts to that country. But never had I thought about the social aspects of it. So um, I learned about this call probably about 10 minutes before it came on the air, but I just want to thank you all because this is enlightening to me. As an engineer, I work in STEM, not Mm -hmm. looking at schools and and impacts to communities, but um, enlightening kids to the value of a STEM education. But I see a marriage Mm -hmm. between the way I've formerly seen data and how you all are applying it, specifically how Dr. Bissell is explaining it. So I just want to offer that compliment because literally before listening to this program, I'd never, ever thought about, say, example, human capital development or community engagement and marrying that to the data coming back to a satellite. Oh, awesome. So so are you a rocket scientist? (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't. I mean, I'm not an aerospace engineer. I actually graduated from IIT Mm -hmm. on the south side of Chicago. Chicago's home to me. I'm actually uh, a cousin of someone that you know very well, which is how I found out about this call. But um, I'm a computer computer engineer. I do project management and systems engineering, and I'm trying to start my own business to business to do business with the space program, right? So for me, mm-hmm. for me, rocket scientist is reserved for aerospace engineers. I am not one, but I definitely work in the aerospace industry. Oh, awesome! I am. I'm really psyched. Let me. Uh, and did you have anything? Uh, thank you for that call because uh, I've used donated X-ray software since 1994 up to 2011, and uh, we couldn't have done uh, uh, much of what we did without that. But uh, finding uh, map makers who would work with us to use the software effectively has always been the problem. And uh, uh, so I, if there's any other map makers that are listening uh, and want to help with this, uh, uh, reach out to me because uh, uh, we can't do it without uh, your talent. Absolutely. Now, I'm not on the map-making side. Actually, we were selling systems at that time. I was helping to sell systems into Esri for them to develop their products, right? But um, the the work that I'm doing is helping NASA make the data available to the scientific community. And then, right, some of them are running Esri and other GIS types of products um, to impact communities. But, again, this was enlightening because I never, ever thought about it from the social aspects of that. So thank you for that enlightenment. You're welcome. Okay. Well, thank you. And, Dan, I know we'll ask you again, but um, before I close down the mic, can you share your contact information? So I'm on Twitter at Tutor Mentor Team. Uh, I can be found on Facebook uh, under Dan Bassel. I'm on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, uh, my blog is uh, tutormentor.blogspot.com. And uh, the website is www.tutormentorexchange.net. Okay, great. We've got a couple other callers. So, Kim, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate your comments. You really have enriched this discussion. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have another caller, um, area code 773-624-0585. Did you care to comment or did you have a question? Okay, um, no comments or questions um, there. Okay, we also have another caller, area code 312-282-2809. Did you have a question or comment? Yeah, this is uh, J.P. Paulus. Great to hear you both hey, you guys on the air here. Hi, J.P. Thanks hey. for calling. Hey, Daniel. Yeah, thanks. Um, I've been having some computer issues, so I'm not sure if I, uh, if I, I caught this earlier. And also I was just trying to, to use the chat and it wasn't quite working. But, yeah, um, so my question, though, is uh, I was wondering, uh, Dan had mentioned about the software. Um, I was wondering if um, uh, I didn't catch uh, if he – 
specified what what map making software is there and um is there anything now like in 2017 that's free and it's also online that um, people can use because i think his, his concepts are excellent and, and are needed it's just getting like um just getting people to those resources to use using getting those people to those specific tools to use them um and I, and i just you know i would i would jump on it i just don't know um any software, the last software I used was uh, Microsoft Maps, which is from a CD that was 10 years ago, and they don't really do that anymore. The, uh, uh, if you go to the mappingforjustice.blogspot.com, uh, on the links on the side, I, I, I aggregate links to uh, geographic information system sites. Uh, uh, there's free uh, uh, sites like Tableau, uh, uh, Google Maps, uh, uh, there's the, the, a growing number of, of, of free uh, uh, sources available, and, and you can browse the list and look at these what's available. And, and, and in many cases, other people have built the map platform, and you don't need to make the map. For instance, I uh, uh, use my program locator. Uh, I'll create a, 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 a map area image, and then I'll save that into a PDF, right, into a PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. I'll add on top of that additional information that's relevant to what I'm interested in talking about. I'll save it as a GPG, and then I'll put it into a, a blog article or a tweet or something. So there, there's a lot of people collecting really good indicator data that you don't have to collect it yourself what you need to be thinking about is is how can we uh, tell stories using that data that draw people to help solve the problem the data is pointing out. Yeah, I guess I was just think, thinking more along the lines of like let's say you've got a, a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet of addresses for you know let's say different resources or whatnot, and then I wanted mm -hmm. to upload that somewhere and and then get get the map because I think that. And that, like like Jane said, that, that that would be a way to tell the story. Like let's say, especially for, um, let's say somebody who's who's trying to uh, raise funds for a specific program that um, I can upload um, your addresses of all of the kids that you're reaching, or all the whatever what you know, whatever topic it is, you know. Or if, and again, this has such far-reaching implications for everything from like businesses to whatnot. That if we can upload, if you have that list and can upload it somewhere. Yeah, that, that, uh, and make that map. So, a really easy to use uh, uh, mapping resource is something called Mapalist. Uh, again, on the uh, okay. on the mapping blog, I I, I point to uh, uh, in 2016 I updated my list of uh, Chicago programs, and I used Mapalist uh, uh, to upload an Excel spreadsheet from a Google Doc. Uh, uh, and very easy to use, and so it it would serve the purpose of what you're trying to do. Okay, and it's free. Okay, great. Oh, that's great. So, so basically what I'm hearing is you could take things like a survey, different survey responses that may have address data. You could take your sign-in sheet, do an Excel spreadsheet, anything that might have some sort of that, – that give you an indicator as to a location. You can upload those data into this MapAlist software, yep. online software. You do it for that. You could do it into Google Maps. Uh, I, uh, that probably a, a Microsoft version of Google Maps. Uh, if you go to the TudorMentorConference.org website and look at the link on conference maps, you'll see uh, uh, that I created uh, maps showing participation in uh, some recent conferences and in conferences in the late 90s, and uh, showed uh, where participants came from. And then I color coded different icons to represent the difference between programs and other types of participants. And I, I did that using MapAlist. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. And, and JP, thank you so much. I'm going to give another caller another chance. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add? Um, okay. I think that's, that's the main thing that just, like I said, that I think, um, like I said, Daniel's on targets just, yeah, we need need to uh, know the tools and 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 just use them and and like I said, com communicate that story in the different ways we can. Okay, yep. awesome. And th thank you for calling. Thank you for supporting the show constantly. Thanks. Okay, I'm going to give this other caller another chance. 
Okay, caller at area code seven seven three six two four zero five eight five. I think I cut you off, and I do apologize. Thank you so much for calling back. Uh, I just want to make sure I didn't leave out an opportunity for you to provide questions or comments. Okay, well, thank you so much for calling back, and please know that I cut you off by mistake. All right, thank you so much for your support. Okay, so so Dan, obviously an effective civic engagement strategy involves more than maps and websites. And you've also talked about use of social media, including Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook to drive engagement, which is a whole lot more difficult than meets the eye. I know I have difficulty. Um, can you share some of the strategies that you use to ensure successful social media engagement? Sure. So, so think of this as a form of evangelism. Uh, uh, before the mm -hmm. Internet, I uh, stood on street corners, passing out uh, the media, <laughs> inviting people to come to the church. Uh, I, and mm -hmm. they passed out thousands of things, and maybe a few people showed up. With the Internet, your website is your church. It should have all the information you want for people to use. So that's the first thing. I, 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 my websites are full of information. So my social mm -hmm. media, my email marketing, uh, this is my street corner evangelism. I'm on Twitter, okay. LinkedIn, Pinterest, a few other platforms uh, to find new ideas that I add to my library to help me improve my own efforts. At the same time, I'm sharing from my library, from my websites, ideas that I think other people can use uh, with the goal mm -hmm. that uh, it builds an interest that attracts those people to my websites, uh, will use the ideas to help themselves, or it may uh, help me in my own efforts. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm just one person. I, I don't have any source of advertising revenue to support this. Uh, I've had inconsistent support in years before that. Uh, but I show in my articles many ways that people could be doing the same thing that I do, pointing to their websites, and, and the key is, so we're, we're talking about community organizing. Uh, if, if you have a group of 5, 10, 15 people who are meeting, uh, whether it be the board of directors of an agency or the board of a planning group, every one of them should be out on social media uh, saying, look at what we did, look at what we're talking about, look at what we need, not just the executive director or not just one mm -hmm. person appointed to be the social media person. Okay. That's excellent. And and then along those lines, you know, once you've got your board engaged, your key stakeholders, how can we use these maps to do things like demonstrate impact, you know, lead fundraising activities, and then recruit and engage volunteers to our efforts? So, so the first part is think of this as a learning process. Uh, uh, when you're... Mm -hmm. On the Internet world, uh, uh, you're taking time to read and thank and reflect. What are, what are those people doing or saying that has relevance to what I'm trying to do? What can I learn that helps me do what I do, do it smarter, do it better, do it at less cost? Uh, so, so that's number one. You're, you're learning from other people. Uh, in one of the blog articles that I, uh, I wrote recently, uh, on July 16th, I created a map of Twitter conversations. Now, in Twitter conversations, uh, you, they use a hashtag, uh, like a hashtag Tutorminer or hashtag Blog Talk Radio, uh, and, and that enables people interested in that topic to find it and uh, engage during that conversation. Well, I archive mm -hmm. hashtags. I, I, I created a map that I archive 60 or so hashtags on different topics that I go back through those hashtags uh, and, and I look at what people say. I, I, I look at uh, websites they point to. Uh, uh, I, I reach out and connect. Uh, I follow people that I'm interested in. I like. I retweet. Awesome. I'm engaging. And, and uh, that same map that I created could be used by anyone else in Chicago or any other city who's interested in poverty, inequality, social justice, the same issues that I'm focusing on. And, and if you're interested mm -hmm. in a different issue, you can create your own set of hashtags that you follow 
and that then becomes a resource for you and your network. So I, 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 it, it's, it's an ongoing process. You, you've got to spend time doing it. Uh, but uh, if you do it systematically and you archive what you're looking at so you can go back and look at it or you can share what you're looking at with other people, uh, it, 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 it becomes a community resource for a community building and engagement. Okay, I love it. I love it. And I know that you and I have talked um, you, you talked about MOOCs and different groups that you belong to. Um, can you share a little bit of information on that? Well, a, a MOOC is, is a, 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 a massive open online course. They started in the late 2000s, and, and these were the universities putting all their courses online free, and thousands of people would sign up to take the course. Uh, a, a version of that uh, uh, was called a, a CMOOC. I, I, I focused more on uh, connectivism, uh, connecting people with each other, building relationships, engagement around the idea. Remember what I talked about, community being people who are concerned about the same issue. Well, uh, mm -hmm. the, the format, the CMOOC format, uh, could be borrowed. Uh, so. Uh, in my hashtags, I point to the CL MOOC and the DL MOOC and other types of people where, and on my website, I have a whole ca uh, section of my library with links to these people. Uh, anyone could learn by looking at what other people have been doing and then begin to set up the same things. It's a, it's a way to create an ongoing online conversation around a topic or an issue, engaging more people who come in and out when they can as often as they can, as little as they can. Uh, but over time, they build a deeper understanding of the issues and a greater relationship with many of the different people. And that's critically important uh, for, for groups of people working together to solve problems, whether it be in a local neighborhood or, or whether it be across the city or across the country. Oh, wow, this is great. Okay, so Dan, um, in closing, can you share three lessons that you've learned in your years of connecting youth to resources? And then, most importantly, you know, a question we kind of skipped over, we can come back to, is how can we get started doing this stuff at home? All right, well, in terms of lessons, uh, uh, first I say well organized nine school tutor mentor programs require planning, persistence, and attention mm -hmm. to detail. Uh, they take years to become mm -hmm. great and a lot of work at keeping them great. Uh, second is well-organized programs are constantly learning from others, from themselves, and always looking for ways to get better uh, at attracting students and volunteers and keeping them participating. Uh, if youth and volunteers are well-supported in these programs, they'll stay involved unless something changes, like the job changes or parents moving to a different area causes them to start participating. And it's mm -hmm. important designed to provide long-term, multiple-year support. It will begin to see some of its students finish high school, college, and enter the workforce after several years of participation. As far as the, uh, uh, the other question that you are talking about, let me look at that. So you, you asked uh, about getting started, and, and uh, I, this isn't something one person does by themselves. Uh, uh, a small group mm -hmm. of people can build information base like what I've been doing, uh, but it takes a, a, a village, a group of people working together to turn that information into uh, solutions to a problem. Uh, so mm -hmm. uh, the, the starting point is to do your reading. I, I, I do your homework, I, I, I look at the blogs, follow the information, and, and then begin to uh, engage other people to read the same things you're reading. I, I, I map your participation, do the analysis on who's there, who's not there, uh, and, 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 and continue to build your group based on what you're learning. Uh, I, and as you begin to uh, uh, decide on a direction you want to go and you map a strategy, you begin to do it, uh, evaluate what you're doing on a continuous basis and, and keep uh, working to make it better based on what you learn from yourself and what you learn from other people. Uh, and then you're constantly sharing it. It's a, a transparency, I guess. Uh, uh, but it's, it's more mm -hmm. than transparency. It's a form of advertising. You know, uh, I learned a lot about what I'm doing from when I worked at Montgomery Ward. Uh, uh, we created advertising every week that we put in all the newspapers saying, come to our stores and buy something from us. Uh, what I'm mm -hmm. talking about is no doing that. 
uh, uh, we're using our blogs, our, tw- uh, our websites, uh, uh, our spaces to, to show what we do and what we offer and why it's valuable. And then we're using our social media, our email media, our face-to-face events, uh, Blog Talk Radio, to say, look at me. I, I, if, you, if you're interested in this problem, come and join in. Uh, uh, help me or help somebody else in a different place do the same thing. Okay, and on that note, can you give us parting thoughts and tell us again how we can reach you? Well, uh, first, uh, thank you for inviting me, and thank you to JP and everyone else for taking the time to listen. Uh, I, this archive will be available on my blog, uh, on Blog Talk Radio, and, and so you'll be able to find it uh, uh, for the next dozen years, I hope. Uh, mm-hmm. I encourage connect with me on social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I, I visit my website. You can leave comments on my blogs. Um, I've been doing this for 24 years. I, I didn't start with any money, and we were launching a single tutor-mentor program at Cabrini Green at the same time that we started launching a tutor-mentor connection to help other programs like our own get the resources they needed. Uh, it, it, most The nonprofit sector is one where people compete with each other for scarce resources. What the Tutor Mentor Connection has said is why can't we work together to increase the pool of resources and then we can compete within a larger pool. And, and uh, mm-hmm. we never had funding, uh, we never had support from civic leaders, uh, yet we invested whatever time, talent we could do to build what you see on our websites. So the one thing I hope people take away from what I'm talking about is that building a single Tutor Mentor program or building an intermediary like the Tutor Mentor Connection, the work is hard. It has to be repeated every year, year after year, uh, uh, without giving up, uh, regardless of what mm-hmm. resources you have available. Uh, since I host an information library uh, in the map-based program locator, it means I've had to update the data every year for 20 years uh, and find ways to upgrade the technology. I've struggled to do that as well as it needs to be done, especially over the last six years, yet I've created a template that can be borrowed and improved upon by people in any city in the world. Uh, since I'm now 70 years old, getting older, I'm looking for one or more universities in different places that would bring the tutor mentor connection into the university as a, 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 a department or as a program uh, where it's led from there using the talent of students, faculty, uh, and alumni uh, to do much, much better in the future than what I've been able to do with this in the past. And if, if anyone's interested in that, uh, please contact me. Okay, great, great. So I want to say thank you so much, first of all, for bearing with us. I know we're a little bit over time, but I was really, really enjoying the conversation and all of the information that was shared. So I want to thank you again for listening to Nonprofit U blog radio talk show today. Um, the show will be available for download within about an hour. And be sure to tune in next week when our guest will be Shelby Parchman. He's the Director of Grants for Sunshine Enterprises. He'll share an update on some of the work he's been doing with emerging businesses in Woodlawn, North Lawndale, Evanston, and beyond. So until that time, I want to disconnect with you, and I look forward to talking to you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.